0: Well, hello, everybody. I'm so honored because today on my podcast, I've got Shelly Augustine from Advocate to Educate. And I've met Shelly eight years ago, eight years, nine years ago, I think, in Kansas, where we were road stations. And she changed my world because she set up a special needs support group for moms. And it was the first time ever my son just got his, you know, label autism. It was the first time ever that I was in a group with women that... Understood me and understood my frustrations and understood my struggles. And really, that group actually, I think, inspired this podcast because I moved back to the Netherlands and I know a few special needs moms now, but there's no support group. Yes, you have an autism group and yes, you have a juvenile arthritis group, you know, the things my kids are battling with, but it's all, you know, either this or that. And not, there's no joint group for you know whatever kind of special needs your kid is, and I really missed it. So that's why I started the podcast. So I'm really honored to have Shelly Augustine on the show. Shelly, welcome! Can you introduce yourself to the guests?
1: Sure. My name's Shelly, of course, Shelly Augustine. I have my own company that started basically from the grassroots organization parent support group in Kansas years ago. I'm an educational advocate, but a mother of three children. I have one grown child who's in her 30s. I have a senior who's about ready to graduate, and I have a child who'll be rising, a daughter who'll be a rising junior for next year. So, um, and I'm married Prior military, we retired, and so we spent 40, 40, 20 years in the military, <laughs> and it uh, feels like 40 someday, but yeah, that's that's me. I live in, in Colorado, and I enjoy it here. I like outdoor stuff, and I love connecting and helping families around special needs.
0: How did you come up with the idea, or why did you ever started especially support group
1: well it actually started prior to an official diagnosis for my son um my daughter my oldest daughter had been diagnosed years and years ago because she's you know 16 years old or 14 years older than my son and she she was diagnosed with what they called severe adhd and so you know i kind of muddled my way through that as a parent, not without really much knowledge, kind of trusting in the school system and everybody else to tell me what I needed to do. And so when my son was diagnosed or was going through the process of being diagnosed, I felt like I needed to make connections with other people who who were experiencing what I was experiencing and who had already been through what I was about to experience, and what was in front of me. So we were at Fort Bliss, Texas. My husband was serving as the aide-de-camp to General Dana Patard there. He's now retired, and Dana became the division commander there eventually, and I kind of went to him and said, hey, here's an idea I have. You know, I really feel like I can't find people in the community and I want to set something up to have access for parents to come in together and, you know, share their experiences and learn from each other and just be supportive to each other. And he was like, go ahead, whatever you need, I'll help you make connections. So I got in touch with the base commander and they cooked me up with the chaplain and then the chaplain provided us a space to get together and also free childcare, which was so helpful and we just started meeting, and I just started gathering information in the community about special needs, about schools, about service providers, and I, when I first started it, they had already broadcast it through the Exceptional Family Member Program. This is going to happen, you know. We They had it in the newspaper there. And they did an interview with me, and Dana was also promoting it. It was close to around autism awareness as well, so he was, he promoted it in an article briefly, and so I got a phone call, I remember, from a mom, and she's like, hey, I have a child with ADHD. How come I can't come to your group? Because they had said parents of children on the autism spectrum, right? And I said, well, there's no reason you can't come. We just need to obviously broaden the perspective. And yeah. so we just made it a support group for our parents with children with special needs, no matter. And it yeah. just grew. It just grew. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, for me.
1: <laughs> and then, of course, I took it to Kansas, right, where I met you at, at Fort Leavenworth. And they had actually heard from the EFMP office in Fort Bliss that I was coming just because we were transferring there with EFMP, but also that I had set up this group. And so when I got there, we met and we contacted, we talked to each other and EFMP and I, and they asked me to create the same model there. And that's that's what I did.
0: So was it also the time that you started your own company or was that uh, after you left Kansas? Because I remember you already helped me. You know, the first time you had an IEP, I was, we have a what? And I have to <laughs> focus on, on how. And I had no idea. And I, I, and I mean, <laughs> had no idea where to focus on. And, you know, still, I'm now in this game how many years? Like 10, 12 years? And we still, every year, you're like, oh, not again. Why is this ah, so frustrating? So I know that. When we were in Kansas, you helped me a lot and, and other moms as well. And is that kind of how you started your business? Just yeah. helping out.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I called the support group. It was called a soft place to land. Um, that's what I called it. And it was a place for parents to come and just they were felt safe to share and to get information. And and I came to the district, a school district there, going my son has you know high functioning. They called it Asperger's. He has Asperger's, and you know he might need an IEP. And and they were. Like, oh, no, he's fine, doesn't have any problems. Well, we were seeing problems. Like, this is a normal story. I think you're shaking your head. So, yeah, yeah, that's a normal <laughs> story for most of us. And so, you know, it became kind of a con- confrontational kind of going at each other. So it took us a while to get an IEP, like an extra year there. But I was learning. I was educating myself around the, the disability and also around education. And so I was starting to hear the same kind of stories with families in the, in the community on Fort, on Fort Leavenworth and I just, I don't know, I guess I just, it clicked for me easily. I I grasped the concept of IDEA, 504 plans, accommodations. And so then parents would come to me and talk to me about the struggles they were having. And I would just kind of push them in a direction like, go ask about this or, or go check into this. And then eventually um, one of the special education teachers there in the district was sending parents to me saying, go talk to Shelly. She gets this, she understands it. And, and that's really where it grew out of. You know, at first I was getting paid with cards and even gift cards and thank you cards and flowers came into my house one day. So <laughs> You know, it just turned into a business, and then I, of course, um, went to um, get my training at the Institute for Special Education Advocacy at William & Mary College of Law, and it's a week-long program put on by Peter Wright and his wife, and also the, the Peel Network, and, so, and that's where I got my first training, what I would call serious training, which I, which I consider uh, turned me into a trained advocate.
0: And what is the thing you help most parents with? Because hey, you know uh, you educate and your your consultant, you coach people. Can you can you explain a little bit more about what yeah. help uh, you provide, or what are the what are the biggest struggles most parents deal with? Is it different? You know, I, I I can imagine for myself as well that in the beginning you have just no idea. There's so much information. You don't know where to look for uh, help. Uh, but later on you know and you grow into your special needs role yes <laughs> learn the tricks so super mom role yeah super mom role Yeah. Yep. is there one thing in particular most parents come to you with or is it really broad the, the questions they have and the help they need
1: i would say the thing that i see most parents struggling with is in order to be effective the way they feel that they should be effective in a meeting, particularly around IEPs and their child's needs in the educational realm, is understanding IDEA. So that's our federal regulation around special education and um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And then also how that is implemented or processed at the state level, because then the state has their own regulation but they adopt IDEA and sometimes they can uh, go above and beyond what IDEA does or they can just meet it at the same level. And then how that is translated and implemented in the school system. Because here in our state, we have what we call local control. So each school district gets to do things the way they want, really. We get a lot of guidance from our state. We still have to meet FAPE, Free Appropriate Public Education for Students with Disabilities provide services and accommodations under 504. And so what I see is parents just trying to filter all of that information, find out how it's implemented at their district and at their school. And then, how do they apply that to their child specifically and their child's disabilities and needs? And how do you get an appropriate assessment? So, it's really that IEP process, all encompassing as a whole, yeah. that I see parents struggling with. That's usually why I get a parent. They've been at a school system, they've said, My kid has these issues. And, and the school's either said, Nope, we don't see that. Or they didn't meet it where the parents felt that it needed to be met.
2: Yeah. Or they've
1: been in the system. They had an IEP, the kid didn't make the progress that they needed, and the parents are now trying to get those proper services for their child for the next years so that they can catch up to their peers.
0: And you already shortly mentioned it. Are there a lot of differences between the states? I mean, here in the Netherlands... It's Yeah, the country is so small. (laughs) We are the fifth of the size of Kansas, but with seven million people. So it's a bit crowded, but there's just one system. Of course, there's still a lot of differences in how schools apply the rules, how they try to bend it. Uh, How is that in the States? Is there a lot of differences between
1: the there states? There can be differences. Yeah, there can be. I'll give you an, uh, an example. We were in um, Maryland for a year. We didn't stay there We for, for a couple different reasons, but we also just didn't like the environment there. But Maryland had a regulation in their state around the provision of evaluation reports or documents that were important to an IEP meeting. I'll just make it simple like that. And their rule was they had to provide those to the families at least five days prior to any meeting. So they had a regulation in place. Here there's no state regulation. And, it, and one of the reasons is because we have local control. So the local school district gets to make its choice about will they do it? Are they going to have a rule in their district about five days or three days or we'll do it one case by case? The way that things are implemented or how they interpret that, like that's a regulation that they talk about in IDEA, but it's not mandated in a certain way. They are they say it's good to give the parents the information ahead of time so they can be informed decision makers, um, but some states take that a little bit further and say, this is when you, we expect our school districts to do that. They create okay. their own. So it can be very different. You know, for instance, there was a bad situation in Texas where Texas was saying to their, uh, and I'll, I'll make it short and sweet, but they're basically saying to their school districts, we only want so many kids, percentage of kids on IEPs. Don't go over that. Its was kind of like this little, like, slide it under the radar kind yeah. of suggestion, and they recently got in a lot of trouble with the federal government about that. So, you know, how states are doing it, it can be different. And also, when you're in the military, you take an IEP from the state of Colorado and you move to Texas, and Texas says, "Oh, nice. No, we don't accept this. Um, they can accept it or not. They can service it exactly how it is, and just change the Common Core standards yeah. to what is appropriate for their state." Or they can just say, we're going to take this, service it like this for now, what they, which they call comparable services. And while, while we're doing that, we're going to evaluate on our own and make our own determination. And that scares parents to death, right? Because they could, you could get to a state and they go, oh, guess what? No more IEP for you.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that's very nerve wracking.
0: Yeah. We, we had the same, so we were stationed in, in Kansas, uh, but all the, the testing for, for both our kids, because you know, with Pepin, the whole autism got a name, let me just say it like that, it, it finally got a name, and with our daughter, we found out there was something, and that turned out to be juvenile arthritis and uveitis, and also, as dyslexic as possible, that has nothing to do with her eye disease, but... <laughs> severely dyslectic. And we came back to... So that all the researchers were... Uh, the costs were uh, paid for by the Dutch government and the Dutch insurance. And we moved back to the Netherlands and we had to redo all the tests. Oh, wow. Because apparently being dyslectic in Kansas is totally different than being dyslectic in the Netherlands. <laughs> and the same with autistic or, you know, you can save so much costs because... Seriously, the people that tested them here, you know, whether it's another country or another state, yes, you know, doctors, you know, yeah. they didn't do a, a study that was in a cereal box or something, exactly. And Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and that's it's scary, scary, yeah, is and frustrating that's waiting because it's for our daughter, it set her back two years in the Netherlands. Oh, wow, two years, you know, that's. A okay. lot. that's
1: yeah, that's a lot. And, you know, the thing is, is that another thing you run into in the States and any, I don't know if you run into it there or not in the Netherlands, but in the States, you, you can get a medical diagnosis and you bring it to the school system and you say, here, my kid has autism or my child has dyslexia. And they say, yeah, but it doesn't affect their education. So we don't need an IEP, but we'll give you accommodations. Right. So they, they make a very distinct line between a medical evaluation versus an educational evaluation, and they don't necessarily have to speak to each other. Yeah. They can, and often I see that it does. In some way, they bleed over because the medical is a diagnosis that helps us look at how we assess it in the school system. So it can be, if it's used appropriately, it can be very helpful, but I can't say that that's always the case.
0: No, no. In the nurse, you have the same. So our daughter, for instance, needed know a better chair to be able to sit all day because you know the, the wooden typical wooden chairs in, in the Netherlands at least uh, most school furniture is, is, is made out of wood was too hard for her bones for joints uh, and so we went to a special service and they provide whatever extra yeah equipment you need in school and we had we came with a wheelchair because she had a rough day, so she wasn't able to walk a lot that day. So we came, she she was in a wheelchair, and we had all her tests with her, and that's yeah, we called the basic doctor. So he probably only did four years of medical training. And we said, Well, do you need extra information? Do you need guidelines from her um, her specialist in the children's hospital? And he said, and he literally said, But the specialist doesn't decide what she needs, I decide what she needs. <laughs> mm. like so yeah they didn't fund the they didn't fund her school or her chair unfortunately enough we were able to you know just think okay just we were so tired of fighting just just this costs way too much energy and we have the money so we, we bought her the chair yeah. itself but yeah. it's amazing that you know agencies and different systems should work together
1: Sure. Yeah. And when you say that, you say, you know, you're just exhausted, you know, and and most parents with children who have differences in ability (laughs) or disability, a lot of people say, but it's just really a difference in ability. Then I I see them to be exhausted often. And I know I have clients that have multiple children um, who have some sort of disability and, you know, it's difficult when you are trying to provide services at home and support their needs in the home on with more than one child so parents get very exhausted and one of the things that I think that is important in my job in my business is that I am a parent of children with disabilities and I think that I felt those exhaustions I felt that frustration I fought that battle and I can say to them you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel you know the therapies that you provide for your children both home-based and school-based that are happening for them and as as for services at school, if they're done well and implemented properly, and they're done intentionally, that they there there you will see a difference, and it will make things easier for you over time. Like you may not have to sit with your child as long to work on a writing home assi- assignment because as they build the skill, they become more capable, more independent. And I tell people, you know, I I've been there. I I know that I know that fight. I know that feeling, and so. I can approach the process for them because I've already been through it. I'm kind of like that calm in the, in the room. They, I don't get as emotional as a parent does. And, and they appreciate that because I can, I can bring it down. I can calm it down. I can you know, speak to it in a different manner, but also understand how to communicate that emotion that that family is having to the people at the table and how that would translate into the services or the accommodations that student needs. And it, it's an exhausting, you know, I mean, it's a lot. It's exhausting. And there are times you just want to go, I can't take any more of this. You know, the perspective taking, you know, your child is perspective is narrow or rigid. And you're, you know, you're doing your best to try to deliver the message you want delivered and hope they will hear it and um, they don't always hear it and you you feel so frustrated like oh i just can't get through but also with some children just the developmental process is a few years behind so you're looking at you know if you've got a kid who's on the spectrum and they're 10 years old and you're expecting them to do what every other 10 year old does and you get frustrated because that's just a norm as a parent you, you you go oh i have a 12 year old this is what he did when he was 10. so the automatic response is this is what a 10 year old does. And then you got to almost catch yourself yeah. and say, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, he's a 10 year old, but he's a 10 year old. who might be functioning at an eight year old's level or she's a 15 year old who's functioning at an 11 year old's level. And that doesn't mean they won't ever get there. They just might get there later. Yeah, It might take them longer. So just, you know, pushing through those tough times and knowing that, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and right now it might be really small, but as you get closer to it, the light gets yeah. bigger and you can see better, you know, it kind of illuminates things for you.
0: You also then sometimes think, sometimes it doesn't get better, but it gets easier, or maybe the other way around, because you know, you know now, you don't know system now, and you know, it can still be a battle every freaking year. Yeah. <laughs> we just said it, the, the last year of high school, your senior year, and we got a new IEP, and we were like, what? How can it be so different than the last three years? Yeah. How can he ever if you're writing that this is his capability? How can he ever finish high school? How can he ever go to college? And yeah, just
1: but he will. He'll go, you yeah. know. And when you say better or easier versus better, when I say better, it could be it it could be easier. That could be the better that you have. But their skills might even get better. Yeah. But as a parent, it might I think it gets easier or better for you as a parent, because even if their skill level is slow in progress, you're starting to see some progress. And I think you begin to be, I hope parents begin to be gentler with themselves. Like there's just some things we can't control. We can't take away a disability, we just can't. We have to learn to address it in a manner which is appropriate for the child, and we need to learn how to cope with it ourselves. Doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it always goes smoothly, It it doesn't mean that I always have the skill to do it. I might need to, as a parent, learn something myself. When one of my children was going through the ABA process, it was very important for me to have very in-depth parent training because they're the specialists. The providers are the specialists. And if they come and work with the child and then they leave and you don't learn and aren't in on that process, then you implement it wrong. So I think you just set the child back. So one of the biggest things I tell parents with children who are somewhere on the spectrum um, is that make sure when you're working with your ABA therapist that you are doing some very in-depth parent training at least, you know, twice a month. I think it's important to do it twice a month. And as as you learn to grasp and are paying attention to the ABA, you might be able to dial it back to once a month. But I think that's huge. And it also makes you feel successful. Like you have the coping skills and not somebody else didn't just walk in and go, here you go, kiddo, and walk out and leave you going, what the heck? You know, and I I need, and that's that sense of I need some, I need to do something. I, I, as a parent, I need to do something for my kid. And so it was a way of having some sort of input and control to help my child make progress even in those moments where the professional wasn't sitting across the table from them.
0: You, you're retired now from the military. Huh? Mm-hmm. Your husband is retired. Um, yeah. Is there a lot of difference from, you know, being in a military world and having sometimes maybe easy, easier access? And then now, do you have to start over? Do you have to find, you know, new resources? Or can you kind of take things from the military world and transition them to civil
1: world. Yeah, I would say that, so there's a, there's a few things that in the military and outside the military or retired are the same. So, you know, when you're in the military, you're moving around. Every time you go someplace, you have to find new resources, new providers, new support systems, new friends, right? Yeah. Um, and the same is in retirement. When you leave the military, if you move from your duty station, which a lot of people do, they go someplace to retire, yeah. um, then you have that same process you have to do that over. And sometimes in today's um, environment, working environment, you may have to change jobs again. Although you still have the medical part, if you've been 20 years in or you retired with a disability, let's say, then you still have the medical support. So at least that vein is the same. I use TRICARE, TRICARE is the same, as I may have higher co-pays as retired, I may have a few less services, I might, or I might have to fight harder for some services. But generally, I know that system. It's just a matter of finding the services that you need in your area and making appropriate choices about, this is what I have for TRICARE, and this is the same thing with active duty. We, The EFMP office does this. They make decisions about where they place you so that you can have the services that you need for your child. And so you are now, that's pretty much on you as a parent to make sure that wherever you're going, you will have those services. So in that sense, I think it's the same. I think the hardest thing, I think one benefit is if you do retire and you stay there, you build a longer term support network, friends, maybe even family, because you move back home with family, right? Good good or bad, whatever that may be. Sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes (laughs) it doesn't pan out exactly like you want. So you better have a real, you know, firm, you know, strong personality to be able to stay in a you know, respected manner, like, okay, I love you, and you love me, but this is my kiddo, and I know what they need, because they probably haven't been around you up close and personal for years, right, and so in that sense, you could have a bigger network of support, uh, if you have, if you still have younger kids, or even older children who are not going to be self-sufficient, right, then you have family there, maybe a brother, or a cousin, or a, a parent that you could say, hey, can I leave them with you for today, or the weekend, so we can get away, and just, get a break. So I think that that's a benefit of if you retire somewhere, or at least even if you're not in your family, you just retire and you build longer term friendships. Like we're we're still long distance friends; we still know each other long distance. But I can call you and have a glass of wine and vent if I wanted to. But you're not right there. I can say, yeah. Hey, Nadine, can I? And you can't say, Shelly, can can I drop so and so here? And you know that that doesn't exist. And we're constantly moving in the military when you're active duty. So I remember that was just a stressful time is like where are we going next what are we what who who am I going to know there how am I going to meet somebody who understands that I have this much a little bit of time and I don't may not have as much time to do things because I have other things that I have to engage with my kids so that that is definitely you know a struggle
0: if you do you also then find that you know I had uh so in the Netherlands small country but it, it can still be quite a long distance uh sometimes to family and I remember that uh, Remco being deployed and two small children, and where we lived, there was no family around. But so that was my fortress, me and my young kids. But I also had a hard time trusting other people with my kids. Yes. And I kind of still do because, let's face it, moms know best.
1: You know. Yeah, well, and it's you know it's really even with family, it's like that. Even with oh yes, and it's just and it's also just like generationally. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my mom is a different generation than I am. She raised me, but she's still a different generation. So they did things differently than we did. Her parents, even more so. But they also don't have that regular experience no. um, in our, in the U.S. because, you know, we travel with our spouses for the most part. So we're all over the place. We could even be in Europe, um, which we've been there before. So they just know the kid's your kids, their grandkids, um, their nieces, nephews, whatever, is, as best they can in the time that we're able to spend with them, you know. So, and so they might have ideas based on generational ways of learning and living that they might try to apply to your child that you just know isn't going to work. And so, so yeah, I mean, it, even if they're even if they're close by, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the way they deal with your your kids is the way you want, or a babysitter, you know, or anything. I mean, it is, I remember thinking, who, who do I trust? Who can I leave these people with? You know, who can I leave my kids with? And also saying, okay, if we're coming to visit you, um, these are the things my kids need. I know it's different than what you do, but just to make the trip pleasant um, and to have as less problems as possible or less, less conflict as possible. Can you just please be respectful of the way that we do things? Even if you're going to come stay with me, Like, please try not to judge me because I'm doing what I know works for my kid, even though my other kid that might not work for. (laughs) And that might be the way I chose to, I would have chose to do it if they were, quote, neurotypical, for lack of a better term. But that's what I have to do because that's what works. And it makes everybody much more happy and creates an environment that we can all feel safe and and comfortable and joyful in.
0: Yeah, I totally understand it. I, I hear you say that, you know... And sometimes one thing will work for one kid and another thing for the other kid do your kids then sometimes also say like but sure giving him way much more space or oh she's getting way more or yeah yes of course but but let me tell
1: you if they i mean me and my my siblings there were four of us it was the same and i was the only girl so i used to get mad because they'd say you can't go out. You're a girl. And I was like, that's not fair. Like that that is not
2: fair. (laughs) How is
1: that fair? So I think it's the same, you know, I think even if there were no differences, you know, in development or whatever, or or disability, I think there would still be some of that anyways. And I'd have to say, well, you're younger than him or she's older than you or whatever it is. But I do think that I think what what I did early on with my youngest was say, this is what Asperger's mean. And here's a book to read about being a sibling of a child, written for her level, which, you know, helped her to understand and then just continuously having conversations about, okay, yeah, but it's not for lack of caring or concern or love for you. It's just this, he needs this more right now. You're more self-sufficient in this area. You know, he doesn't need help in math. You need help in math he needs help in writing, you don't need help in writing. So it's really that balance of, you know, whatever somebody needs, we're going to give you. And it may seem like you're getting less, but maybe it's because you don't need as much right now, you know, or you're a girl or or he's a boy or, or whatever it is. So it is a balance and yeah, you're always going to get that. But I just think having open conversation and keeping it positive and not being negative about it, you know, saying it's, it's, it's going to change. It, it, it's getting better. We can yeah. see that already. You know, we're, some things may always be a little bit more challenging, but for the most part, the progress for me, because of both educational and in, interactions and services and private really make a difference. And so I just, I just point that out, you know, and, and be kind to each other, be, give some grace, yeah. you know, to yourself to your kids, to, to, to the kids, to each other, it, it's really important. And try to nurture as best you can with other people's, you know, being part of your yeah. life. Try to try to nurture environment and relationship as best you can, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, and it sometimes can be challenging. I remember how, I think even recently, we're almost shouting to my kids, be nice to each other. <laughs> just, Oh yeah. If you don't I do say that. something nice, just. Just don't say oh.
2: anything. <laughs>
0: just, yeah. It's like yeah. you know, yeah. But I don't. I'm not saying anything, and then you just see that finger slowly reaching. I'm not touching him, you know. That's kind of yeah, I don't know anything. Yeah.
1: It's just holding the finger one inch from the face. Like yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not touching them. Yeah, I remember no. actually, mine did that when they were little. I was like, oh my goodness. And my mom, you know, my mom, my mom's generation and her parents, it, the, the the word was always, you can't say something nice. Don't say anything at all.
0: Yeah. You know? I, I actually, I, I catch myself saying that now I'm like, oh, I turned into my mom, <laughs> you know? Yes,
1: yeah. we all kind of do that, I think, at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think <laughs> sometimes I, oh, sorry, <laughs> what did you say? I said, because
1: some things, some things are just learned. Yeah. I mean, our kids are going to learn stuff from us. Let's hope they learn more of the good than the bad, because yeah. yeah. nobody is perfect no nobody
0: I remember the first time I really felt like a mom was I think when I was driving the kids were killing each other in the back seats, and with one hand on the steering wheel and my other hand in the back I was trying to slap them <laughs> I'm like and now I'm a parent <laughs>
1: you know? I become a mom right yeah I yeah I, I, my my dad would always say do I need to pull this car over oh yes so that's what I did. Like, I will pull the car over. I will pull it over. Like, and then the quiet, like, Ooh, cause if somebody pulls over the car, that's some serious stuff right there. I'm, I don't want any of that brought my way. So the quiet, <laughs> hope most of the time it would get quiet in the back of the car, you know, but yeah, it's, you know, we, we, it, nothing's easy. Not, not having children without disabilities or kids with, we just have it harder. I think sometimes with kids with disabilities and. You know, and so I work really hard. Ho- I worked really hard to provide whatever was needed. I mean, we had all kinds of different tools to use, or for him to self-use on his own. Like, what are you going to use? What can you do there? You know, when you're frustrated with that, what what? Go get the little thing that gives you choices and pick a choice, right? And just like I think I, I don't know if you got, if you told me you had this experience, but a lot of parents that have kids sort of that higher functioning Asperger's area, they would their kids would come up like, can I can I play with Legos? Can can we go to the Lego store? Can we go to the Lego store? can we go to the Lego store? And then to say, no, we are not going to the Lego store right now. What if, how about like, it was always this, <laughs> any way to get to the Lego store. And I would have to say no, or I would say, or he'd want to talk about the new Lego forever. And I'd say, okay, you get 10 minutes. I will sit here for 10 minutes and you can tell me everything you want about the Legos. But when I'm done, when your 10 minutes is up and I'd set a timer sometimes, or point to my clock then i got to go back and cook dinner because i still need to keep moving forward and 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 even my sophomore she's just social so you yeah. know sometimes i'm like okay i'm working here you know what do you need to tell me right now <laughs> <laughs> alligator jaws. <laughs> <Oz.
0: laughs> <laughs> i still have it when we walk the dog and especially with Peppin, because that dog Peppin. is adorable <laughs> yeah yeah my, yeah he is really adorable He's also in his, you know, teenage years, so that's three kids now in my house, three teenagers in my house. But it's so much fun since we have the dog. Well, beforehand, Pepin, you know, he would come home, then he needs to unwind. He won't talk about his day, he just needs to, you know, reorganize his thoughts, even whether that's in Minecraft or Legos. When he was young, it was Legos, now, you know, he builds new worlds in in Minecraft or whatever computer program. Uh, And you know, sometimes you hear him talk, but that's not with his mom, but that's with, you know, his online gaming community. But when you walk the dog, that's when he talks. And sometimes it is like you said, you know, just going on and on about Lego. And for him, he can Talk about Minecraft level or whatever for 45 minutes. And I have no clue what he's talking about. You're like that. uh Right. Wow. Interesting. But he's really happy. And, you know, at least he's, you know, expressing himself at at that moment. Because not even when you're a specialist kid, but if you're a teenager or the moment you come home, you know, you are. Have your phone, you have your things, whatever you need to do, your chores, or before you know yeah. it, you don't talk at all. So
1: yeah, because they're teenagers. I mean, you remember when you were a teenager and yeah. you were probably locked in your room, and we were on an actual telephone that was yeah. wired into the wall.
0: Oh yeah, but in a Dutch <laughs> home, you could only go so far. In a Dutch home, you had only one phone, and that was downstairs. <laughs> so now, let's I have to say the whole Corona and, you know, being away from, you know, the 1.5 meters distance. That's Mm -hmm. really easy with teenagers because they just lock themselves in the room. That's
1: (laughs) true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's very true. Yeah, I think I agree with that. You know, and I just think that, you know, any way we can get them to engage with us, whatever that level of engagement is, especially when they're teenagers is, and even when they go into college, like they're going to be like, oh, "I'm I'm independent on my own." You know, you just try to build the proper relationship with your kid that is appropriate for them and that keeps you connected and builds relation and gives them a place Like you become their soft place to land, you know, whenever they want, Yeah. because they are going to become independent. And I think it's important as a parent, some kids are, their disability will never allow them to leave home. Other kids, they will. And so as a parent, I have always taken the approach that it's my job to prepare them for life. And even though I'm going to cry when they go to college and move out of my house and I'm going to be depressed for, I don't know. A month, maybe, I don't know. Um, I still think that it's really important that to keep that as my focus is that my job is to prepare them for life. Whatever their ability is, whatever their need is, that I've given them the tools. I've taught them to make pizza, you know, whatever they need. And then I can let them go and I can readjust my life and I'll move on. You know, it'll be a natural progression for any of us whose kids are going to move out of our house. And for those whose kids aren't, it's still going to be a progression because the expectation is my kids will grow up and move out. And so there is probably some, I've talked to parents who, their kids don't move out. They're, the parents are probably in their sixties and they're still raising their children, you know, because yeah. they have to. And it, it is kind of, we have a loss when our kids move, but there's also some depression or just a, I wouldn't say depression, just a, a a loss of having your child become independent yeah. and moving into that next phase of life that most people expect would come. Yeah. And it is a challenge, but you know, everybody adjusts. We all adjust to it eventually. But just preparing them as best we can before we send them on their way that's the forefront for me and and that's one of the reasons why I do multiple things in my in my career is that you know I I I do the advocacy the at the table in the meeting you know advocating saying here's what's appropriate I also just do basic consulting where parents go hey you know I I got this I have this goal written what do you think of this goal you know they they manage the room good but they they don't feel really good about tweaking goals or or expanding it or narrowing it down, knowing the students. So I do that. And then I also do some executive function coaching where I work with kids from really more middle school through even a college level um, in, in figuring out what tools work for them when they have a deficit in executive function so that they can be successful in college. I've heard stories of kids who you know, are very bright, get into great colleges and one or two years in, they're done because yeah. they can't get their homework turned in. They can't, they just can't do what they need to do. So making sure that they have buy-in about what they need to do, what yeah. will work for them and then really working hard to figure that out before they take off into college. Yeah. Cause it's almost a little late when you're in college.
0: Yeah. And I too- that scares me a bit because now, uh, our son is going uh, to college uh, after this year. Uh, and apparently, you know, special needs stops after high school, <laughs> you know, you're like, so is there any, yeah, no, there, there are not a lot of things in place yeah. at a college. Uh, yeah. And that is kind of scary. Uh, yeah. do of I, sorry.
1: No, I was going to say what, about the college. You know, I don't know what it's like there, but here the, the kids when they go into college can have accommodations. They don't get services like on IEP, but they do get those accommodations for maybe they need extra time for homework or extra time for testing, yeah. or maybe they need to turn they they need they say I left something at home, and maybe they can talk to their teacher about I did it. I promise you, I'll I'll send it to you as soon as I get home. You know, things like that. Um, they do have some accommodations you know, speech to text, whatever it is they need. Uh, it's the services that lack. And in the United States, kids can stay in, in school until 22 different. It's different in different states, yeah. sometimes a little longer, shorter, um, but they do have an expanded year to catch up and to make sure that they're prepared to go to college. Yeah. And now in um, here in Colorado and in different states in the United States with different colleges, they have colleges where the kids can come in and they can get they can have an experience. We have a local college here, the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. They have a program for kids who have disabilities, and they come in. They can actually live on campus um, in the dorms, and yeah. they go through a program, and they get some sort of certificate or degree. It may not be the highest level or depth of knowledge that the other other degrees would carry, but it gives them that opportunity, that's and great. I think that's it, really important. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to- I have to say, Febren had the possibility uh, to uh, do his finals in two years. Mm-hmm. And he went like, uh, and we were like, oh, that's a good idea. Because then, you know, on the social emotional level, he can mature a bit. And he went like, why would I want to do that? I get it. I mean, it's already easy enough for me. I don't need an extra year. We're like, yeah, but you know, then you <laughs> being protective. And he's yes. like, Yeah, no, that's not necessary. That's easy. Yeah. St- He is still really scared about going to college. And, you know, we're we're helping him now using uh, uh, public transport. Sure. Because in the Netherlands, you're not allowed to get a driver's license before you're 18. In the Netherlands, you have to be 18. Uh, And he already expressed, he already said, I'm I'm never going to have my driver's license because traffic scares the living daylights out of him. Sure. Uh, And he has to cycle. Because otherwise you don't get around in the Netherlands. Everybody yep. cycles here, and fortunately enough, we found college in our city. So he will just, you know, he can cycle to college. So that's great. Sure. Uh, but you know, still scary. <laughs> it's, oh, it is. And, <laughs> but and the it, they, funny they thing rest- is that he is way more enthusiastic and not seeing the problems that we see, and that's great to be honest. That's you know. Sure. Yeah,
1: and if you, if you don't if you don't make him fearful of it, no you know, he might have some reservation, Yes. but if you support him through those reservations and don't make him fearful, I think that helps because when they're afraid, you you tend to freeze up. A lot of people just freeze, you know, that fight or flight. And some kids run and freeze up, you know, and just to just deny it and get away from it and don't want to deal with it and then others you know fight through it yeah. and so it's good if we say hey, it's okay every every kid is yeah. probably somewhat scared yeah. whether they want to admit it or not that they're going off to college a lot I, of kids I, go I, off and come back home
0: yeah i, I have to say he, he already surprised us so much because i was in florida uh <laughs> i think <laughs> one of the last people there <laughs> <laughs> that were, yeah, was able to fly to, 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 to America and fly back without any problems because the whole COVID-19 wow. didn't start. Yeah. Well, it was in China at the moment, uh, as far as we knew, but he got an invitation to, you know, just experience the college for a day. And I was like, oh, maybe we should postpone it because I'm not there. And, blah, and trying to already set everything in motion. He was like, no, I can do this. He was scared shit, but he did it anyway. And he, yeah. all, it helped that he knows why he is scared and he knows it will be okay. Yeah. But it was, yeah. yeah. So he already, and he, like, and he managed. yeah, the fact that he, this, this year already said, I'm going to go to this college and study this. And we were like, you're going to do what? Banking and accounting. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> How did you come up with that? That yeah, sounds really exciting. And we're like, well, okay. And then, you know, he did that. Uh, college tour for a day uh, without his, you know, super mom being there to hold his hands That's and right. managed. And, uh, yeah, he, he's doing all, and even then finishing high school, you know, the senior year in one year with, and not the two years that were offered to him. So
1: sure. and sometimes I think it's something about being, yeah. about being a super mom, really a special needs super mom is that he was able to say, I got this. Yeah. You've given me the tools. And for me to go and feel comfortable and make the decision, even though I have some hesitation or reservation. You, you're just a demonstration of when you put to put into practice and work what your super mom has taught you. Yeah. Um, you, you have more access. It, you, you're more successful.
0: How do you do it with your son? Are you? Did he already choose his own kind of college, or? Well, he's known for
1: a long time what he okay. wanted yeah. to oh. do. He's very interested in. Spacecraft design,
2: okay. So,
1: so really, that astronautical engineering, and so, and so, we kind of knew that since probably seventh, eighth grade, I would say, I think it was seventh grade, and and so he he feels he here's the thing, he wants to own his own business in the space industry one day, and so he's had some connections with some mentors in society that have said, you know, if you want to run your business, you don't shouldn't have a lot of debt. So he's thought about that, and he's making decisions around his academics about what will cost him the least in in the end so we're working with different colleges trying to figure out how we can use the local community college for at least a year because engineering degrees are very difficult to do two years at a community college and transfer in because they do a lot of hands-on learning and they're oh, yeah. they're a lot of math and they just don't have that level of math at the community colleges. So so we're currently working on trying to figure out what courses he can take. So he's making good decisions. You know, we've always told them be careful about how much debt you take on, just in life, period. Just in normal everyday conversations and by living by example. And so we feel like they've both both our younger kids have taken that in. And the other one doesn't she's in her thirties, so she doesn't live at home anymore. <laughs> um but but I think he's doing a really good job in trying to figure that out. He does, he, he of course needs some assistance in navigating all that and I am giving him some assistance in trying to have the communication, the depth of communication that's needed at a college level because, you just don't always get your your questions answered well but I feel like he's prepared my and my sophomore is already looking into her stuff we've got them trying to get them to engage she's a little better about engaging with scholarship options than, than but I think it's because it requires a lot of writing and a lot of yeah. you know executive function pieces which has always been the thing that we're the kind of were the last things we're working on right yeah. which I think they'll come is just going to be getting you know your feet wet on your own somewhat will help you to to tighten that up and narrow it in. And so I think that in that sense, he's doing pretty well with the college piece. I'm Larry, but because I'm a mom, but it's because I'm a mom, not yeah. not because we haven't told him, taught him, c- conversed with him, um, given him direction. and And I know he's going to make his own choices. I'm hoping that based on what we've taught him and what he knows about himself as a person, that he will make the proper choices. We don't always make the proper choices, but for the most part that he will Um, and that will help them i think it helps all kids when you're set up to make good decisions because you've been taught or been shown by example that when you make less poor choices then you feel more confident about yourself you um, have less ramifications or consequences from the poor choices but there's also learning in the incorrect choice there's an opportunity for learning. And so I think that's super important as well.
0: So, you know, we talked about, you know, future of our sons. And with that, I kind of want to wrap up this interview because we were already talking for like an hour almost. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we could go on <laughs> with a glass of wine for another hour. <laughs> we experienced <laughs> lovely. Yeah But I wanted to ask you, And you know, do you have any advice for your audience, and the audience of this podcast? And then I mean, advice for the moms, advice for the partners, but also advice for the siblings and the special needs kids. Yeah. So I
1: would say, as for parents, I'll I'll say two things. One is for your, for as a super mom, as a mom of a special needs kid give yourself grace, be patient, show love. I think love in the end is the thing that will tie them to you. And so when they do struggle in the future, they'll have somebody to come back to in the educational realm, be educated, try to stay calm in this process of IEPs and special education. And if you need an, if you need somebody, whether it's a friend or a free community advocate or hiring an advocate, then get one when you feel like you're at a standstill because I think that helps you to get moved forward better and not staying still and becoming stagnant. Because parents do get kind of like a PTSD from special <laughs> education. I've seen it more times than I care to admit. Oh, yes. For our partners, for, you know, your spouse, whether you're a super mom or a super dad with special needs, I think also, you know, utilizing them the best way that you can, utilizing their skills and trying to get them to help you out so you don't become exhausted. I think that's super important. And if they don't have the tools that they need to work with your child or to help in the process, then I think, you know, having a conversation about we're a team and everybody has to work together. And they often, I find that spouses often just, it's usually the dads, I have to say, in special education that are kind of just there and, you know, occasionally popping in with a good little comment. My, my husband's done that a couple of times and I was like, wow, where'd that come from? (laughs) Uh, So, and then for siblings, of course, just, you know, try to, I think they need to understand that their parents are not ignoring them. If they have to spend time with uh, the sibling that has a special need, that it will get better. And that it, I think they have to also look at it as if my mom or dad um, don't feel like they have to have a lot of oversight of me, over me, it must speak to my ability to be somewhat independent. And that means they probably have confidence in me as a sibling, that I can take care of myself and then I think it's important to tell them, but if you need something, please come and tell me. Because if I seem like I'm busy, it's not because I don't want to help you, it's, it's just that maybe I know you will have, you're you doing better or you're, you have really good skills, And but if you're struggling, come and see me. So always go to your parents, even if they seem maybe unapproachable to you as a, as a child, I think that's important. And then for for kids with, you know, kids who have special needs who um, are, I would call them high functioning or moving on in their life or even struggling with, you know, still their challenges, maybe those last few things. I I just, I just want to say, do hard things, hang in there, you know, keep working at it. If it's not, if what you're doing, if what the school's doing, if what your parents want you to do, if whatever, have a conversation, an open, calm conversation. and then. Ask for opportunities to seek what you might need, even if you don't have an idea. Where can I go seek information to find out what I need and what might work for me? Especially as you're transitioning into post-secondary after high school life, whether it's job or college. And I think everybody—parents, partners, you know, siblings, special needs—you, me—do hard things. You can do hard things and give yourself grace in that process because nothing's perfect.
0: No. Well, thank you so much. Girls, you know, if you're in the stage and you need uh, somebody to help you guide the IEP process, check out Advocate to Educate, the website of Shelly Augustine. And Shelly, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Nadine, thanks for having me and good luck with your podcast. I think it's wonderful and I'll, I'll be tuning in to all the new ones.
0: <laughs> thank you. My fellow supermoms, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe. Let me know what you think and tag me on Instagram at Nadine Van Leer, And you might win the monthly one-hour special needs supermom coaching session. Stay sane and stay happy. Until the next class of wine.